Welcome to And Almost Starring, the show where each week we take a film and break down the casting, including who almost starred. I'm Jeff Ronan. I'm Amy Jo Jackson. And wish me luck. No, shan't. It's the Double Wears Prada. For better or for worse, out there is a universe where it may seem bizarre, but they were almost starring. Amy Jo, how you doing today? Oh, Jeff. I'm here. You're here. How are you? <laughs> We're st- each still here. I am doing just fine. Uh, this Today's episode is a listener request from Anya. Thank Anya. you for writing in, Anya. And uh, if you want to request a film for us to break down the casting of, you can do so by emailing us at endalmoststarring at gmail.com. So let's get into it. The Devil Wears Prada is a comedy that came out on June 30th, 2006, and was directed by David Frankel and adapted by Aileen Brosh McKenna from the novel by Lauren Weisberger. Amy Jo, what's your experience with The Devil Wears Prada? Um, I had seen it, not in theaters, but, you know, shortly thereafter in a rental capacity, and then I rewatched it. Uh, when I was doing my great villain watch of 2017. Um, oh, the, gr- the great villain watch of b- watched, in the Year. It just sounds like a great time. I watched a new movie every day with, well, not, they weren't all new to me. Like I had seen Devil Wears Prada, right. but b- movies that I hadn't, that I didn't have memorized basically. Like I didn't watch Clue because I was like that, I've seen that. I don't need to see that to garner new information. Well, now and now, who would have been the villain of Clue for Villain Watch? Well, for villainesses, villainesses, it doesn't matter. You've got several in there. I get. You You've know got what? Several that great is performances. True. That's true. I mean, for I me, Eileen Brennan one. is the the winner. But they're all. It depends have, on the ending. Exactly. You also have like three performances. I think that count in that film. Was is this the uh, the only appearance of Meryl in your Great Villain Watch? Oh, I think so. I think so. Julia Child wasn't a <laughs> making no, the cut. No, yeah, I mean, I have sister a list Aloysius. I was, I'm trying to think of like who else, like what other villains that she played. And though she's not a villain, she's still someone. She she strikes fear into the heart. She's strong. I think. I think. I don't think I had any repeat villainesses, but maybe I'm wrong. I'll go back and cross check with my list because I'm obsessive and I have it somewhere. I guess you got a. Uh, you got this. You got the the witch in Into the Woods. Oh, that's true. I didn't uh, watch that for The Great Villain Watch of 2017, sure, but that sure. totally counts. Death Becomes Her, I think, can fit. Oh, sure. It's not really a villainess, but it's still just like... She's not she's doing everything. She's in it for herself. She's not on the up and up She's always. not on the up and up. She's on that down and down. Uh, and I saw this the one time in theaters, and then again for the show. Uh, and I enjoyed it in theaters, but I just had never thought to revisit it. Uh, but I'm glad I did. I. It's not like I remembered this film differently, but I feel like... This premise, it's so e- this film could have been so, so, so much broader yes. Yes. than it was. You could have the scenes of like, you know, Annie is like, oh, no, I ripped the dress that that Miranda's got to wear I for the big ball. Tonight. Coffee on I spilled me. Hawaiian punch everywhere. <laughs> why did I why was I entrusted with this gallon jug of Hawaiian punch? Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's not that it actually, you know, apparently the script went through a lot of rewrites a lot of Mm. revisions and originally it was more about like how does like miranda kind of how does she get one up on miranda how does pretty much how does it end with miranda getting made to look the fool Mm. where it doesn't wind up like that at all 
uh, which I think it's much stronger for it. It's not well, about yeah. Andy getting revenge on Miranda. And it's more true to, I don't know, probably more people's life experience of having a horrible boss, you know? This is very true. But I like that David Frankel said that he's like, why should we punish excellence? Like, why why are we looking for if Miranda is so good at her job? She has that great line, Anne Hathaway does, about like, yeah, she is really tough. But and I know there are people listening who have every line of this memorized, and I <laughs> have only seen it three times. So I apologize. I'm about to drive you absolutely bananas as I paraphrase the entire episode. Anyway, she has that great line where she's like, well, yeah, she's really tough. But if she were a man, no one would say anything except for she's really good at her job. And I think that that's a really good point that they drive home. I think they then undermine it with some of the stuff they have with a stupid boyfriend. But, you know, I think if you take that entire plot line out. If you take out the human mop. Yes, if you take out. Sulky grilled cheese making. Yeah, Sergeant Sulk. Sergeant Sulk. Then, like, I, you know, I think it does a, a good job of being like, well, it's more complicated than just she's mean, you know? Right. No, totally agree. I, I enjoyed it a lot. I enjoyed it a lot. I was so excited to revisit it and excited to chat about it now. So, spoilers ahead. If you have not seen the Double Wears Prada or haven't seen it in a while, here's a brief-ish synopsis. Andy Sachs, an aspiring journalist fresh out of Northwestern University, lands a job as junior personal assistant to Miranda Priestley, the editor-in-chief of Runway Magazine, despite having no interest in the fashion industry. And he plans to put up with Miranda's excessive demands and humiliating treatment for one year in the hopes of getting a job as a reporter or writer somewhere else. At first, Andy fumbles with her job and fits in poorly with her gossipy, fashion-conscious co-workers, especially Miranda's senior assistant, Emily. Emily Blunt. Emily Blunt. Incredible. Welcome to the world, Emily Blunt. Welcome, Welcome to Hollywood, Emily Blunt. Welcome to our cinemas for years and years to come and our hearts for years to years to come for a character that is like, Oh, right. They were both in into the woods. To, I didn't even think about the fact oh, that Emily, into the Emily woods and, was and a Meryl. reunion. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For the two of them. Do you think Anne was trying to, you know, it's like, I could right. be Cinderella and yeah, they're like, and Oh, Anna we're Kendrick good. Like, we got Anna Kendrick. I saw no, thank this you. fantastic meme um, after the drag race episode aired recently where Anne Hathaway like appeared yes. via video in the workroom. And it was some meme that had a picture of Anna Kendrick, like looking very intense. It's like, Anna Kendrick listening to Anne Hathaway talking about being a theater kid. And it just made me laugh so hard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, as because Anna Kendrick's been on the Broadway. She was a little child star on that Broadway. Yeah, she was. I forget. She might have been nominated for a Tony as like a little 11 year old. In, in or high society. In was high it? society. Mm. It, it was. Uh, if, if memory serves. Andy approaches art director Nigel to help her learn the ropes in the world of fashion, which I like that this makeover is her idea and not Nigel's. Yeah. I feel like I'm so used to seeing like, let me help you, you right. poor oh, little you, creature. You poor summer child. You don't know a dang thing. And they're just like, what's wrong with this extra large sweater? And we don't what's, have, what's wrong with this smock that I'm wearing? We don't have like a stupid scene of her being like, well, I can't walk in these shoes. Like she's just like, yes, right. Exactly. I, I just have I've never no... even owned a pair of heels. Whoa. Just a weak. <laughs> Need dear. Just falling. Yes, you don't have like a montage of her falling over in heels like an idiot. Because it's not that. It's not that she just, it, it's just she has no interest in the fact. Right. It's not like she's not aware of it. She's just like, this is so beneath me. Because right. I am, it, it's really, it's like, it's not a snobs versus slobs. It's like a snobs versus a different kind of snob. Absolutely. I will say, watching this movie, uh, the last two times I've seen it, I have definitely been humbled by my own snobbery. I think the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, yeah, Meryl's very good. And Emily Blunt's wonderful. But, uh, you know, as opposed to now, I'm like, it's really good. There's some stupid scenes. But, like, overall, it's so, so good. And yeah. I was 
so snobby about entire genres of film that I didn't allow myself to enjoy stuff that was actually, I don't know, fun and <laughs> well-made. I know. Well, that, and that's what I, I think goes into like that this film could be that wacky, broad comedy, which is yeah. like, this isn't actually. It's not miscongeniality. Yeah. Even beyond that, I feel like there's, which is nothing against Katherine Heigl, but I feel like there's a lot of Katherine oh, Heigl films that like the right. Katherine Heigl version of this film would just be, or the Kate Hudson version, version of this film would be just so much broader, so Whoa. much wackier, just wackity schmackity do. Uh, and it does, it ends with, you know, Meryl's getting a pie in the face and she's like, looking the fool. And instead that never happens. That's actually, I mean, that's, we'll get to it in a second right now, but the, this moment when Anne Hathaway has to like run across town and has hours to get the unpublished latest harry potter book mm -hmm. and gets it the moment where she delivers it to meryl streep where it's like oh yeah i got this and meryl's like oh just one because it's for her what are my twin daughters to right? Do so what's right what's the other twin supposed to do it's like oh no they've got them both i printed two copies for them and had them bound so they didn't look like manuscripts, manuscripts. and this is just an extra one for you know whatever she's like oh well where are these fabulous <laughs> manuscripts <laughs> like, oh already on the train with them to grandma's and it's, you see, like, Anne is, like, so, like, that's right. I did it. I beat you at I your beat own you. And Meryl's game. just like, ooh, okay. Well, now I'm more a little more interested in you, you dumb-dumb. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you smart, fat girl. Uh, she says, why not take a chance on the smart, fat girl? Uh, but it's like they're both winning. And that's why I think the movie is as good as it is. Because mm. it's, sm it's that smart. It's not just, like, pitting, like, one against the other. It's like, right. no, no, they're both winning. I just think it's really smart. I think it's very smart the way that it tackles the subject matter. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, same with this makeover. I love that. I think it helps add to the arc that Nigel is not, like, from the start being like, oh, you poor girl, let me help you. He doesn't want to help her. It's like, don't come crying to me. Is that my problem? No. No, it's not. Mm -hmm. uh, so she begins to dress stylishly and start showing effort for the position accommodating all of miranda's whims and fancies problems arise in her relationship with her chef boyfriend nate who increasingly finds her spending all her time at her new boss's beck and call okay i oh there are so many problems with this boyfriend both as played by this actor who exists in the world and then how he's written like I my understanding is he like works at a restaurant right now and then you know by the end he's like I'm gonna go be a sous chef in Boston but like from the people that I know who have dated chefs or you know people who are like I want to one day be like head chef at a restaurant but it is the most relentless job if you, especially if you're living and working as a chef in a major city you are never never away from work. There are people who sleep at their restaurants because there is just not enough time. Like the idea. Well, a souffle does make the most comfortable pillow, I must say. Oh, just soft as can be. <laughs> but like the idea that he is giving her grief when he, maybe just he isn't ambitious, but I think he yeah. is meant to be. But it's one of those things I was like, this was a poor profession to choose to make this character if he's going to be giving her so much grief while he's at home, you know, flipping grilled cheeses, which I I love a good grilled cheese. Um, but much has been made of the fact that he's supposedly a chef, and yet that's all we ever see him make. He really has honed his skills on the. He uses Jarlsberg. That's how we know he's fancy. There's eight dollars with the Jarlsberg in there. Give it here. Yeah, I just it, it does help. It's helpful to remember that I'm like, oh wait, so were they like together in Northwestern? Like this is like a fresh out of college relationship 
I don't know. It's not she very just clear. Graduated, well, right? Tracy Toms says she's been friends with her for 16 years. So like okay. they are childhood friends. Yeah. We never know like how long Rich Summer has been in the group. Yeah, and this then, is a weird group of friends. They don't is. explain how these the, this quartet has found each other. No, and if she's like fresh out of Northwestern, then she's also fresh to the city. There's a lot that's yeah. like taken for granted, which is fine, except for like, how am I supposed to be invested in this relationship <laughs> other than they seem to like really like sleeping together? I have like, no idea. I, they don't give me don't anything to root for. This couple, they they sure don't. I want which is her. Why I'm glad it ends with like he's going to Boston. Like yeah. we could. That, I, I wasn't sure where that landed at the end where it was like we could work something out of like in what regard of like to visit him to like maybe just be friends now like are they together at the end i think it's meant to hold the door open for possibility for possibility Possibility. with this chef you know yeah get out of there get get him out Uh, so Miranda starts to notice Andy's changed appearance and commitment and begins to give her more responsibility and complicated tasks to handle, including, as we said, finding the latest still unpublished Harry Potter book for her twin girls. I loved her quote. Oh, and if you don't have that Harry Potter book by then, don't even bother coming back. Just the, the little lilt on that Harry Potter book. Well, and it's, it's great too, because this ask what she knows is nigh on impossible right is because like andy really screwed up the night before trying to drop off the book at the house for the first time and saw her in in an embarrassing scene with her husband yes them having a fight exactly so it's like all right as punishment i'm basically gonna make you quit rather than fire you um but man it's good it's a good twisty turn it is but it's also it's like treated with you know this is realistically what she could do she's made like a contact this guy this writer christian thompson who she she meets while like dropping something off for miranda and she's at like some like picking up the the designs right and she meets this guy and calls him to be like is there any way that you can help and manages to get this because uh I would love in the broad comedy version for her, like, okay, I've got three hours to get the latest Harry Potter book. That's not possible. I'm, I'm gonna, gonna, I'm gonna write it. it. <laughs> Just tippity tap tapping away at the computer. I'm a journalist. Let right. me put these right. Right. And she's to never use. read a Harry Potter book, so it's just like Harry Potter. Okay, what what does he do? He's a uh, He's a wizard, right? Does he got like some other magic friends? Okay, let's give him some friends. We got some um, Pete, we got some Pete, Pete, Pete the Dragon. He'll be hanging out there. Well, she's just like no idea. Just like it's like wow. Here's the book. It's seventy pages long, triple space, triple space, in a size font, sixteen, size font. 16. <laughs> uh, and she's just like dead, dead at the end. But she did it. Harry Potter and the you know the magic wand of. Elzengard. 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 Uh, but no, she actually gets that Harry Potter script. She does. And I think, is it after that episode that she starts calling her Andrea instead of Emily? Yeah, she's like, oh, Andrea. Yeah, she, she just Andrea. calls her Emily because... Because that was the former assistant's... Right, because now Emily has moved up to the head assistant. Uh, she's, she's like, Emily, she means you. Uh, slowly but surely, Andy begins aligning herself unwittingly at first to the runway philosophy and begins to outperform Emily at her job. At a charity benefit, Emily fails to provide information about a guest making his way to meet Miranda. Andy manages to save Miranda from embarrassment and is rewarded by being asked to replace Emily as Miranda's assistant at Paris Fashion Week, a trip Emily had been obsessed with. Miranda tells Andy to inform Emily that she won't be going to Paris, but when Andy calls her, Emily is hit by a car, and ends up in the hospital. She broke her leg, I, mm-hmm. I believe. 
Oh, and Andy then tells the recovering Emily the news, and Emily is infuriated and hilariously going to town on a little chocolate pudding and, and some just Dunkin' bread, like bread, a roll of bread and some chocolate pudding. As we know, she hasn't been eating anything right. except for a, the occasional cube of cheese. Right. When she starts to feel like she's going to pass out, she'll eat a cube of cheese. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Iconic. As, I mean, as is stuff in your face with pudding going, it's not even fair, you eat carbs. <laughs> uh, she's just so good in this, that Emily Blunt. Uh, let's see. When Andy tells Nate she is going to Paris, he's angered that she has become what she once ridiculed and they break up. In Paris, Andy learns from Miranda about her impending divorce, and later that night, Nigel tells Andy that he has accepted a job as creative director with rising designer James Holt. Andy ends up spending the night with writer Christian Thompson, who reveals to her that Miranda is set to be replaced by Jacqueline Follet as editor of Runway. Andy attempts to warn Miranda, but does not manage to get through. At a luncheon later that day, however, Miranda announces Jacqueline as the new creative director to Holt, leaving Andy and Nigel stunned. Later in the car, Miranda explains to Andy that she already knew of the plot to replace her and sacrificed Nigel instead to keep her own job. When Andy seems repulsed, Miranda points out that Andy did the same thing with Emily by stepping over her and agreeing to go to Paris. Now, I understand what she's saying, and she's not completely incorrect, but I, to a certain degree, disagree when it's like, here's a person I've known for a few months versus here's my close friend who I've worked with for 18 years to whom I knew this was a very important move. Yeah. It's it's the same principle, but it does feel a bit unfair to compare the two. It's like, they're not like close. You screwed over one of your alleged dear friends. Yeah, yeah. That that feels different to me. I mean, the, t- the sh- she's, she is the titular devil of the of oh, the film. Oh, I she get is it. the devil who wears that Prada. Um, though I love because in the script, Meryl's last line in the scene was because because she's like, you know, this is this is the life, and she's like, and, and Anne Hathaway is like, well, what if this isn't? I don't want this life. And the line in the script was Meryl was supposed to say like, everybody wants to be me. And in the first read through, she just changed it to everybody wants mm. to be us. And I think that's so much better and i think that's yes. such a beautiful sentiment because it's also such a like that's the most like there's supposed to be some moment early on where meryl actually does compliment Anne hathaway and it's like no 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 you don't the compliment I, is her just her look to her and being like oh okay i approve i actually watched a deleted scene earlier oh. today um that came up when i was looking for something else where they're at that uh benefit where emily blunt can't remember the name of that ambassador right so it's somewhere else in that scene and um Meryl's husband, who is like, you know, not a great dude, like appears like Broadway's James Naughton. Broadway's James Naughton, that's true. <laughs> Billy Flynn. <laughs> Billy Flynn, uh, City of Angels. City of Angels, you know, James um, But he appears and he's just like, he like swaggers in kind of drunk mm. and Meryl's like, oh, there you are, darling. And he's like, you know, this isn't working and that's not working and now the bar won't even serve me anymore. And oh, then he turns man. to, who's it, Irv, like the, the main money guy for the magazine right. oh whatever his name is Irv, yeah whatever Irv, Irv, i think irv yeah so she, he turns to him and he's like hey maybe basically like, could you get them to give me that drink little guy they have to listen to you oh, and there's boy. this like really awkward moment then anne hathaway who was gonna leave like like emily blunt right. like i think i've got it from yeah you can go and she's like oh are you serious thank you so much so she started to walk away then this scene kind of happens and uh anne hathaway like goes up to irv is like i, I 
excuse me, Mr. So-and-so, I was wondering, did, was it true that like the magazine published all the first runs of Cheever's blah, 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 blah in the forties? And he's like, why yes, as a matter of fact, and, like they kind of, kind of leads him away and dissipates the situation. And then Meryl is like dancing with her husband and looks over her shoulder to Anne Hathaway mouths. Thank, thank you. you. That's it. That's what it is. It then. That's really what it is. is it's like, you don't need, no, 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 you don't need it. It was weird. You don't need it. It's like comes way too soon. And is like, Right, she's already saved her from the faux pas with emily when she's like you know has like a flu or something like emily blunt is like hacking up lungs throughout this sequence in the middle of a pandemic it's particularly (laughs) horrifying to be like don't just cough all over your boss she drops yeah she leaves some note during her meeting to meryl it's like does anyone else have anything for me antibacterial wipes maybe Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh uh so when their limo stops. Andy gets out and throws her cell phone into a fountain, leaving Miranda runway. I'm gonna say she like throws herself behind. out of the limo. I was like, I don't think she Tuck does. And she roll. Just out. Yes, it is like Sister Act when they're getting dragged <laughs> away by the gangsters. She's just like Whoopi just kicks her out of the limo. Uh, so sometime later, Andy and Nate reconcile and she learns he landed a job as a sous chef in Boston. The same day, Andy is interviewed and accepted to work at a major New York publication company. The editor recounts how he called Runway for a reference and was told by Miranda herself that of all the assistants she's had, Andy was the most disappointing and he would be an idiot not to hire her. And this place is very like like looks like in zodiac what the kind of like newspaper office looks like like a big open room like a bullpen lots of desks everyone kind of running all around i'm like yeah this is more her style stacks of paper and books everywhere yes yes. (laughs) there's not a sleek or stylish thing about the place there certainly is not i love it it's great uh and so while passing the runway office building andy sees miranda get into a car and waves miranda does not acknowledge her wave back but when she's out of sight inside the car she smiles to herself The casting director of The Devil Wears Prada was Ellen Lewis, a two-time Emmy winner for casting Boardwalk Empire and the HBO adaptation of Angels in America. Lewis has also cast such projects as Goodfellas, A League of Their Own, Forrest Gump, The Departed, and The Queen's Gambit. Wow, wow. So let's move on to some of the actors who were almost cast. Some of these people may have auditioned. Some may have just been discussed by casting. This is all a little subjective. And as always, I have looked up all the actors in advance. And Amy Jo is hearing it along with you, listener, for the very first time. So let's kick it off with Andy Sachs. Amy Jo, your thoughts on Anne Hathaway? And who would you cast if you had to cast someone else? I think she's pretty good. Like, I, I'm not sitting here going like, oh, this performance is transcendent the way you like one feels about Meryl and, and Emily Blunt. Um, but she's totally up to the task. I think it's solid casting. You know, she, she, as we know from princess diaries, does the makeover story quite well, like duckling to swan. Like you can look at her and she's a beautiful girl, but you also buy like with the big hair and everything where she's just like, I, I know plenty of people who are like stunning, but are just like, I don't know or care to know how to dress myself in a way that might look palatable to fashionable people. I'm happy to swim in these oversized exactly. sweaters for the um, rest of my life. That I'm happy line, to be in a cozy sweater. That line at the end where uh, Andy is like, hey, Emily, do you want all my clothes from Paris? I'm not going to use them. And she's like, I'll have to take them in. They'll drown me. <laughs> it's so perfect. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's solid casting, especially for the time. Um, I thought someone else who I think is a similar age to Hathaway that might be fun is Alison Brie. Oh yeah. Just thinking who are people who are funny, who aren't like, aren't going to give me broad comedy kind of strokes, right? you know? Um, 
I thought, oh, that's someone who's on the list in the wrong place. Um, for a more contemporary one, Vela Lavelle, who was uh, Heather on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, is uh, someone who is like stunning but also like a comedic mastermind like I think she would be so charming and would play this transformation super well and then for a much more of a throwback situation there's there's a scene where I just went oh my gosh she looks like Liza Minnelli <laughs> and I'm like oh Liza would be really fun in this I think it's when she's wearing that uh, frankly awful outfit where she's wearing the button-up shirt and then the the like shoulder, like the the off the shoulder sweater on top of it. It mm. just feels like this was a strong choice that I think we're glad is not <laughs> happening anymore. But she had like her hair up in a little cap, mm. and it's oh, just so yeah. like yep. Yep, yep, yep. like very, Arthur very era Liza, Liza. Yeah, like throwback, like, throwback yeah. Liza. And it's it'd be very different, but so would this oh, movie be in in the early eighties, you know, or seventies? Yeah. But I thought that would be really fun. And then I'm this is that. not an option of a. I mean, she'd be fine in a certain era, but I have written. This is Kristen Wiig as Cheetah. This is like exactly <laughs> oh, that. No. Oh no, oh, I dropped the no. stone. Oh yes, that is the version where I spilled I spilled raspberry yes. jam all over my skirt. <laughs> oh no. Um <laughs> I'm trying to pick it up with these little baby hands. Oh. Uh, yeah, I dig that. I mean, I, I feel like similar performances to an Anne Hathaway. I could see a Rose Byrne. Mm. I could see an Elizabeth Moss. Mm. I think seeing, especially mm -hmm. seeing people who've like with, you know, Peggy and Mag Men of seeing that makeover of seeing that like over yeah. the course of years of going from, yeah, the, she goes through a lot of looks. She sure does. She sure does. Uh, I could see like America Ferrera. I was just thinking of like Ugly mm -hmm. Betty. I'm just like, oh yeah, she's someone that you can like dowdy her up, but she's also an incredibly stunning person and so funny and a great performer. Or like a Gina Rodriguez. I was, I was like, you know, this movie's really, I'm, and I get it in the set, the world of fashion that Anne Hathaway is considered fat. Yeah, that that's part of what they think is funny. I know, but when it's like so clearly she's not. Yes. But like, I'm like, what if you actually got like a plus size actor yes. and then you had, and Mer cause you still have like Mer Meryl still saying like the, you know, smart fat girl. And you're like, it's harsh or harsher. Um, but then you're just seeing like, whatever. So it's like, what about like a Daniel Brooks? I know she wasn't yeah. big in 2006, but I was like, she's so funny. And it's such great, just like full heart mm -hmm. acting. And I was like, I think that she would be incredible if this was like made, I guess, in 20, 10 years later when she was kind of yeah. known more for Orange is the New Black. I will say one of the things that bothered me about this script is it did feel very... I was wondering how how many uh, uh, fat jokes had been through the like editing grind, mm. you know, because there are times when it's like, OK, I get that that's ca that character's point of view, which is like, wow. But everything about Miranda is kind of like, wow. Whereas when when at, they're in Paris and he's like, you bet your size six ass. And she's like, size four, actually. Like it's it's like that. It doesn't feel so much like, oh, she's she's bought the like drunk the Kool-Aid. It feels like this is just kind of the viewpoint of what is desirable that this movie is kind of, it feels like it's not a clear point of view from the movie. It's just like, this is the way that it is. So, yeah. and I yeah. it felt a little, a little lazy to me. Whereas like consciously choosing someone who is not a freaking movie star, you know, to, yeah, I'm, I'm with you is what I'm saying. Yeah. And I was also thinking of how delightful because I mean, this is, this is based on a book. This is not, you know, it's very loosely inspired by Anna Wintour. Mm -hmm. But if this kind of film was made in the 80s, so it was the fashion world of the 80s, 
And so it's <laughs> the joy of looking back at a film like this being made in the 80s and of the 80s fashion of like what was considered like high fashion mm-hmm. 80s, uh, I think would be amazing. And I was like, I'm then imagining what if this was like a Whoopi Goldberg? If Whoopi Goldberg was like, I'm just a journalist and I'm here, I'm just... I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't want to do this, but like of having to get like brought into this kind of world, I think would be delightful or like a late seventies, imagining like a Dolly Parton, <laughs> I oh, think yeah. would be incredible. But according to Anne Hathaway, she was the ninth choice for Andy, which is, we all learned, we all learned all on this RuPaul Drag, Drag Race. Race. Um, as all the, all the Queens were just a, a, gag, gag, and a gag, a gag and a gag. Uh, so Anne Hathaway said, because she knew she had to fight for the role because she was known for the Princess Diaries and Ella Enchanted. And like the the people that make these decisions, they were like, they didn't know the level of like fans that she had. They didn't know that she was, you know, moving the needle for mm-hmm. fans. They, didn't, they just weren't in touch with that demo. Demo, yeah. So they didn't know that she'd be bringing all these fans with her. They were kind of like, ah, she's, is she big enough mm-hmm. in this kind of film uh and i think it worked out so well for her i really well, do think this was just a turning her fans point. were growing up as exactly. she was so they were going to be ready to see a movie like this yeah w- rather than the princess star the fans don't stay the same age this is an excellent point <laughs> that people don't think about <laughs> oh it's true though so david frankel liked her a lot and wanted to cast her but like they both kind of knew it was like we just have to kind of wait this out like they're mm-hmm. gonna want us to go through a few other options but he kept fighting for her she said that she left carla hacken then an executive vice president of fox a message on her desk she traced the words hire me in the sand of her zen garden and left no. it for her to discover <laughs> uh so you know like, i think and i think for this role it works because i think there's some roles where you feel like you come on too strong and it's just like no but for something like this where that's part of like the chutzpah of the character yeah. is part of what is you're trying to communicate to the people who might hire you that exactly. that works. Yeah, I think that's that works. So I think that works great. Uh, I think it was a gamble that pays off instead of looking like, oh, God, wh- what is this person leaving notes for me? Uh, so right off the bat, Rachel McAdams turned it down. Mm. She's coming off the Mean Girls and The Notebook in 2004 and then Wedding Crashers in 2005. So those were all three huge hits. Uh, and I don't, I don't think she either she either didn't have anything in 2006 or she had something small. But for a while after this, she was doing like smaller indie dramas and stuff. Uh, and I think like the family stone where she's like, you know, fourth or fifth build because mm-hmm. uh, she said, I'm not going to make movies just to make movies. I have to be passionate about it. And at the same time, I can get very distracted when I'm working and I like to get back to my life a lot, which I think makes sense. But. It's also like, yeah, Rachel McAdams, I I get it. I love Rachel McAdams. She's a phenomenal actor, so she would have been great in this. But I also, you know, I have friends who've, like, led major Broadway shows and tours. And I was talking to one of them after they had played, like, two huge, like, like huge big singing roles you're in almost every scene one on tour and then one on broadway she was like i'm so blessed and i can't wait until i can do a show where i don't have to sing so much and i don't have to carry it because it is you know you do like four movies like that in a row where you're like a major part of it and that's got to be exhausting especially on a on a big big budget thing as opposed to something smaller where you're like I don't know. It's yeah. not as you don't feel like the money walking the ro- walking around the room, you know. Right. And this, you know, I feel like it's easy to forget, but it's like she's in almost every single scene of this film. There's like the one scene in the middle 
where it's just like a uh, one of the meetings for the magazine, which is where you're just seeing them go riff for a bit with Meryl and Stanley Tucci as Nigel and uh, director George C. Wolf as like one of the guys, oh. director of, uh, I mean, many things, including uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which where I was like, who is this guy? Why do I know this guy? I was like, oh, it's George C. Wolf, acclaimed to like Broadway and film director. Amazing. Um, but. And, and then that's when Emily Blunt comes in all sick. But outside of that, it's like, I think she's in every single film, a uh, scene of the film. And that's a lot schedule wise. Yeah. Apparently it was very rough on Anne Hathaway because she, this is when she was with, uh, I forget his name, but like the con artist guy that. Oh, right. So she was like, he hated when she'd be working late. She, he hated when she'd be working nights. So she was always super stressed whenever oh, they had to do night shoots. art mirroring life. This is like her storyline with the boyfriend in the movie. A pretty, pretty much. Or he's even worse than that. He's like the Miranda being like, you know, where are you? You should be home. You That's need to get here now. Classic abuser talk. Yeah, uh, exactly. So she was going through a lot in the making of this. And I think the fact that she, I was very conscious of that in all the night scenes as well and i was like i think that she does a great job considering she must have been under so much stress it reads as a very sunny performance even as someone who's going through all this it reads very much like i am in my early 20s and i am still filled with youthful enthusiasm that perhaps is not uh realistic yeah i think it works so well for the character what what she's bringing to it that i you know regardless of how she was actually you know with meryl the character is like i don't know who miranda Priestley is so i can talk back to her at this job interview Mm -hmm. and i think in hathaway it's like you never see you know she never she's never getting overshadowed by the fact that she's working with meryl um you You don't feel her trying to outact meryl streep no mercifully who could who can Mm. Um, so besides Rachel McAdams, Julia Lewis auditioned, which I thought was curious just in regards to where she was at in her career. Mm-hmm. And I, Julia Lewis is someone, you know, I, th- I thought she was great, a great pick in August Osage County. I thought she's great in like her early stuff in like Cape Fear, mm-hmm. Natural Born Killers and all that. But I guess that it's like that I know her mainly from like Cape Fear and Natural Born Killers. Um, and that's like early nineties. So in 2006 to be like, Oh, the fresh out of Northwestern. Clearly that would be adjusted. You know, I guess that's a, I get, that's an excellent point that they could easily adjust that. Uh, instead in 2006, she was in the movie catch and release with Jennifer Garner. Um, who could have been okay. Andy, Jennifer Garner, maybe. Yeah. yeah. And this movie called grilled, which is a comedy about or starring Ray Romano and Kevin James as door to door meat salesman. I was like, is it going to be about, fish maybe it's some kind of meat yeah grilled door-to-door meat i haven't heard of it so it can't have been that well received uh Uh, and claire danes auditioned oh all right i i see that i don't typically think of her as doing goofy things you know that's true, although I don't, that's the thing. I don't think the film is goofy. That's what I mean. Like, if I think this film true. could be broader, but I don't, I. Maybe, maybe. Uh, yeah. Okay, let me reframe that a bit because I see, I totally see what you're saying. But I think I'm also not used to seeing her have a, a, like an, ang- an anxious energy that manifests in this more like high strung. Oh, I got to answer the phone. Oh, I got, oh, I'm, I'm doing everything wrong because I have this deep desire to please. I feel like she runs and I haven't seen Homeland, so maybe you have a better understanding of this aspect of her, but I think I'm used to seeing her, her anxiety. I just don't see her as someone who has like neuroses happening. Right. Well, I believe if memory serves that the character, her character in Homeland is, bi- is bipolar, um, which is still very, very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, although, although to me, it's like, she's not that kind of people pleaser. Cause that's why that first half hour, she, you know, she has the scene with, with 
the tooch where he's just like, you know, you want a gold star and a kiss on the forehead for doing this? Like, are you actually trying your hardest and trying your best? Or do you actually not really care that much about this job? It's really up to you. It's not like her. It's like like Emily, you know, of how, how frantic and frazzled Emily is the whole time compared True. to but i Anne think Hathaway. she does want i think the whole point of that speech was like she does want a gold star and a kiss on the forehead because she's like i i'm doing my job he's like not the way you want to if you really want to get ahead seriously you're not editing your college newspaper anymore like doing yeah. doing well and showing up because you're smart is not enough no, that's true. I like Claire Danes, though. I, I mean, and Rachel McAdams, nothing against Juliette Lewis. I could, if this was made like late 90s or if they adjust it, but I think it, mm-hmm. it works having it be someone that's supposed to be fresh out of college totally. who is like, yeah, you're just wet behind the ears and you don't know any better than to be putting yourself forward as much as you are. Um, so I think I think it works great with Anne Hathaway. But uh, yeah, and those that was all I could find. So there were, at, I guess, what's that, five more other options of people that were up for it. So I don't know of who else was Anne, considered. Anne, you write in and reveal the names? <laughs> we want the names, Anne. Anne, want the let names, us Annie. know. Um, but let's move on to Christian Thompson, who is <laughs> this gentleman who uh, <laughs> inserts himself into <laughs> Andy's Boy, life. does he ever. Oh, boy. What are your thoughts on Simon Baker, and who would you cast if you had to cast someone else? I'm kind of split on him. I feel like... It's, I don't know, like, what do you need this role to be, right? You need to be someone who's, like, charismatic and, and clearly not from her world. Yes, he's representing. Yes. Uh, uh, he's he's the man that she could have if yes. she was if she fully committed her, to this you know, world. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. If she were fully committed to this world. um, But he also... I don't know. I feel like it is necessary that he have a... Well, I don't know if it's necessary that he have a certain edge of, like you shouldn't do this. Like, is the, you shouldn't do this because of the guy or, or because she's with someone or because I, he I think shouldn't it's you shouldn't like- do this because he probably is a murderer. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there is something about this actor. And I won't say that it's this actor in general. I'll say it's this actor in this role that scares the life out of me. Looking at him in his face and his, I guess those are his real eyebrows, but they look like bleached blonde. <laughs> he is terrifying to me. I don't understand why. You know what, Jeff? I truly, I truly <laughs> think that if he were using his authentic Australian accent, it probably would read a little more normally. That's an excellent point. I, you, that is a good point that he is Australian. And I, might be, I do think that sometimes when people, even if they're doing a good job at the accent, and I think it it's a great an job, extra I, layer. I wouldn't, wasn't even aware. Yeah, that I just think it gives an extra layer that reads as artifice because it is artificial. I don't see why he couldn't be Australian. You know, like that might help. I think it might. Uh, I, I, I find him thoroughly unsettling. I, I think that is why I also think that Anne Hathaway does such a great job because she is selling these scenes with him where she's playing. where like, I am charmed by this, even though he is, you know, the Dapper Dan Strangler who's murdering <laughs> all these women across. Yeah. I, so I guess to me, he looks right in some shots and in some shots does not like truly that's why I'm like I'm back and forth because I feel like in some shots I'm like I see why they cast this guy and in some shots I'm like am I supposed to dislike him I don't know what the intention is almost every one of his lines I feel it feels like it's poised to make you dislike him he's like one of the first things he says is she says something about like oh I I wrote this review of your essays like for my college newspaper he's like did you mention my good looks and my killer charm 
Note the killer. Note the use of killer. Right, exactly. Yes. I can't decide if he's the Dapper Dan Strangler or the blonde bludgeoner, but I think it's one of those two. Um, But yeah. Well, also, she's like, you're she's so green. I mean, he's he's definitely older than she is, too. Like, like, okay, so Simon Baker was born in 1969, and I think Hathaway was born like 82. Yeah. So that's a significant age difference, which is also part of what they're playing with, but. I don't know. I thought I honestly feel like if he just used his Australian accent, it would all make a lot more sense. But I think there are other people who probably have more natural charisma that doesn't read a slightly. Right. You need someone you need someone who has like charisma off the charts to be selling the lines that they give. Yes. Yes. I agree that I think it's also in in the writing. He's just because it's economical, but perhaps too economical. (laughs) Um, yeah, I didn't have a ton of choices for this. I thought like a John Hamm or Same. like a Tom Hiddleston, someone who you were like, oh, okay, yeah. maybe I shouldn't do yeah. this. But at the same time, look at that mop of hair. What you works know? great about Tom Hiddleston is that he kind of knows. It's like he knows he's oh. a bit of a scoundrel. <laughs> Tom I mean, Hiddleston knows a, he's a, a bit, bit of a scoundrel. scoundrel. His line from Veronica Mars. If you got Max Greenfeld, I could I could oh, see that. He's, that is, like, he's like, I know that I'm no good, but isn't that kind of what you want? You're now? into that, though. <laughs> I can tell. That's what it should be. It should someone who'd be like, I know I'm no good, but uh, but I also know I'm exactly what you need in this moment, and so do you. But Max Greenfield is unfortunately too likable because then you'd be like, How don't yes. go back to Nate? Whatever, you'll make it work with this guy. You, I, I then I for me I don't sell the turn when you're like, Oh, he's in on this plot to overthrow Merrill, and he's going to be like the new editor of the paper of the of a runway, and mm-hmm. he's just like, yeah, baby, it's like it's done, it's a done deal. I'm not your baby, I'm not your baby. Yeah, here's the thing too. I think because I have so little affection for Adrian Grenier in this movie <laughs> that you're like, get her with anyone else. Yeah, I'm like, have a one night stand with this guy. You should. You're in France. Live it up. Say <laughs> <C'est> la vie. <laughs> as long as he doesn't kill you before you get to work, you're fine. Oh boy, yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, John Hamm. Uh, uh, Sterling K. Brown oh, or an God, Anthony yes. Mackey. These mm-hmm. are people that like I could they can come you in and say these lines that I'm charisma. like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they gotta ooze that charisma. Or in my 1980s version of this, either Bond, a Timothy Dalton or a Pierce Brosnan. Oh yeah. I mean, that's someone, someone who suave. could yeah. Timothy Dalton, and I think it is also, yeah, if they let Simon Baker be Australian, or you have you know, Timothy Dalton or Pierce Brosnan coming in with their uh, British, British or accents. Irish sensibility, respectively, saying, did you mention my good look and my killer charm? It's like, you can, that it, works for it's me. It's also the thing that people... On many levels. On many levels. <laughs> it's also that, it's not just Americans, but I I do know that being American, Americans are particularly susceptible to this, but like, there's something so exotic about someone coming in and you know, being like, oh my, you're from Australia. You know, th- there's just something that the accent does a lot of work for Agreed. you. As opposed to like, oh, you're the same as me, but fancy. It's like, why not make him feel like he's from another world? Especially if the yeah. actor you cast is literally. I know. From, like, he made me think a lot of like Heath Ledger, who is someone who I think is a lot more charismatic, oh, who would have been 100%. better. In this. You don't typically see Heath Ledger in like suits and stuff, but mm. I-, I feel like he'd be great in this. He's, oh, yeah. he's I mean, he played, he played Casanova. No one saw the film, he but the man played Casanova. Casanova. <laughs> you made me think just saying that, though. I, I once worked a job with uh, with this girl who had been dating this guy who was British. But everything she said about this guy, I'm like, this guy sounds like the worst. And I'm pretty sure it was just that she would, like, quote him. And I was like, if these were quotes from people that 
didn't have a charming British accent. Like th- this person would, it sounds like they would drive you crazy. He, they really, he was talking, they saw some movie. I think they saw Taken 2 and he talked the entire film. But like after every single time someone got shot, he'd lean over to her and go, pop goes the weasel. No, but no. <laughs> she'd be like, he's just so charming. It's like pop goes the weasel. But imagining some guy leaning over me like pop goes the weasel. And you're hey. like, yeah, this is get me out of here. <laughs> But it's not just Pop Goes the Weasel, it's Pop Goes the Weasel. And you're like, oh, yeah, the weasel does go pop. I get it. Mm, uh, you make so, a good point. <laughs> so one person that was up for Christian Thompson, and, and I do got to give it up. I think Simon Baker's a better choice than this. It was Dennis Leary. No, thank you. I just don't. I, I mean, he had scheduling conflicts with Rescue Me, which I think it's because he had Rescue Me at that time. So it's like, oh, he's hot off Rescue He's in the middle of Rescue mm-hmm. Me. He's like, so, yeah he's like a name right now uh and what dennis leary does i think he does very well but it's nowhere near it's this. Not this it's acerbic i'm smoking too many cigarettes and i'm a, i'm too over caffeinated and i'm giving you like a little rant and, and i'm doing my stand-up like, comic i shtick. just wear suits and look good and you're not ever entirely clear on what i do other than it's like yeah journalism yeah not dennis leary he had rescued me and he was in 2006 voicing diego the saber-toothed tiger in the second of five ice age movies i did not realize there were five of these things floating me around neither. Uh, but let's move on to nigel amy joe your thoughts on stanley tucci and who would you cast if you had to cast someone else i think stanley tucci is wonderful I wish there were an actual gay man in this role. Agreed. I will say it is not as egregious as uh, James Corden in The Prom. Having to have a tearful monologue about growing up gay. At least here it is more hinted at than him explicitly talking about like, gosh, what a struggle it was in my youth. Like, I mean, he has a monologue about that, but it's not explicitly about his homosexuality and it's not tearful. So I think that does make it a little less upsetting to watch them like Agreed. that speech of just coins but anyway but i mean stanley tucci is also a really wonderful actor so you're so. saying that your number one choice instead of stanley tucci is not james corden that is my number one choice <laughs> is not james, not james corden. corden uh someone who is around the same age as stanley tucci is bd wong top of my list he is top he's literally top of my list he's so charming so funny and also very much does this exact kind of cinched kind of Mm. performance you know um he's uh, one thing i appreciate about stanley tucci is he is not trying to make it camp you know agreed um which i think is one of the only reasons it works um he is just playing this very particular person who happens to probably be gay um and i think that bd wong also looks great in many a tailored uh situation a couple of options that are would be more if this were made a few years later we have andrew rannells Mm. zachary quinto like i feel like he zachary quinto especially like i feel like would do the kind of like acerbic tossed offline quite well and then if we wanted to go in a very very different direction hit me with it Titus Burgess. Titus Burgess would be amazing. He's so funny. Oh, that is lovely. I <laughs> that would be great. That would be great. I mean, it'd be it, there's nothing that Titus Burgess says that isn't hilarious. So oh, one hundred percent agreed. Other actors, especially if you to get an actual gay actor in this role, which I think would behoove the film. 
Get me Alan Cumming. Imagine oh, Alan Cumming as Nigel Cumming? would be delightful. Or they're not as well known, but Dennis O'Hare, I think, would be beautiful oh, in this role. Wonderful. John Glover. John Glover is someone that I've loved forever. Yes. Some people know, know, know him from, uh, I believe he was Lex Luthor's father in Smallville. He pops up in things like Shazam as Mark Strong's father. He's also played roles that are not just other actors' fathers and things. <laughs> uh, but he's so good. Or as like... <laughs> And I, I, maybe I won't quantify this by being like maybe earlier in the 90s. Give it me today. Give me Harvey Firestein. Give me Harvey Firestein being like, oh, corn chowder. That's an interesting choice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, si- you, you and your size six ass. Like I would, every line would delight me. It would me. be delicious. Um, and yeah, I couldn't think if this was made in the 80s. I mean, I guess you could still have Harvey Firestein for the 80s version of this. Yeah. Or I mean, just get me an Ian McKellen. This is like, that's before he was really hitting yes, in Hollywood, doing, but I movies, could so yeah. see that. I And, and oh. like, I think it they have this friendship between Nigel and Andy wor- work so beautifully. I think it's such a beautifully little calibrated thing, which is why it, the ending as much of like your third act of what it is, which is just Andy thinking that Meryl is going to get replaced and trying to help, but it, it's all taken care of. So she doesn't actually have to do anything at the end. There's, it's just her learning that Meryl is selling out Nigel. Right. And it, it's establishing the stakes. Yeah. But it just lands because of how much we like Nigel in relation to and his relationship, his friendship to Andy. This relationship I am much more invested in than her relationship with her boyfriend or 100%. with her two friends. One hundred percent. Know how they know each other. I do like that. Rich Summer is her of her friends is always on her side. Yes. I I just assumed that like all of our friends are just like yeah, you got your job has changed you, but he's just like he's like this That's seems amazing. Really You're cool. going to Paris with all these designers. He understands the like what a big deal it is. Even though the joke about his character is that he knows all about this, so it's like I must be a girl. It's like I but I'm. I don't know about that, sir. Nor do I. So the Tooch was not cast until 72 hours before his character was due on set. Shut up. He said, quote, I think they scoured the earth till they came to me. So they clearly just had a lot of difficulty trying to cast this role, uh, whether or not it was scheduling conflicts with actors or what. But uh, they couldn't find someone who struck the right note. I guess. So Stanley Tucci met Emily Blunt's sister, Felicity, at the premiere of The Devil Wears Prada in 2006, and they became friends. And six years later, they got married and Emily was a bridesmaid. So that's like just thinking wow. about that where it's like, oh, if the Tooch and or Emily Blunt both weren't cast, you wouldn't have met your wife. That's Isn't so that amazing? weird. I know. Gosh, I, love I remember. I love stuff like that. He and Edie Falco were having an affair Oof. between Frankie and Johnny and the Claire de Lune on oh. Broadway. Well, he is the Tooch. He is the Tooch, man. <laughs> we love the Tooch, but he's still Oh he's my still gosh, like Michael Urie now oh michael yuri oh. yes absolutely fantastic it'd be amazing it'd be amazing uh so when david frankel was talking to stanley tucci about how he should react when he finds out that he's not that nigel's not getting the job he told him to act like he had been nominated for an oscar and just heard another actor's name called and merrill was standing nearby <laughs> and said oh i can help with that <laughs> <laughs> got a lot of experience she's no glenn close but uh, she's got a lot of she is no glenn close but no cigar she meryl streep is at least one multiple oscar she's been the bride a few times you know right uh so right off the bat of actors up for nigel daniel sunyata who plays james holt in the film so he's the one that tucci would go on to work with uh who i love i i think he actually was also on rescue me but clearly he's not in this movie 
long as right. James Holt. Um, but he's great. He, he was in the original Take Me Out on Broadway as like the, the lead guy. Really? Mm-hmm. He's very charming. Yes. And he has a, lo- a lot is asked of him since they clearly didn't want to hire a. T- they, they clearly like were like, let's take what should probably be a bunch of different designers and just put them into one character so we can like follow one storyline. Mm. So it's like he's there where she drops the. the she, she picks up the designs from him yeah. and then they go to the viewing and Meryl is displeased. And then it's also his company in Paris. Yes. You know? the, the purse lips where it just oh, means yes. catastrophe. catastrophe. <laughs> I'm like, why didn't you get Daniel Sunyata to play Christian Thompson? He's one of the most gorgeous men alive mm-hmm. and he's incredibly mm-hmm. charming. That's my opinion. Anyway, uh, Javier Camara was offered the role who some people might know. He is Cardinal Guterres in The Young Pope and The New Pope. And he's in several Almodovar movies, including Talk to Her and Bad Education. Um, Barney's creative director, Simon Doonan, was considered. Oh, interesting. It's like trying to get fashion world people into the film. I guess. Him and E's Robert Verdi. Verdi would later say that there was no intention to actually hire him. And the producers had just used him and Doonan to give whoever they ultimately did cast some filmed research to use in playing a gay character. And he would end up with a walk-on part as a fashion journalist in Paris. So that's what he said. So I feel, I feel like just as words on the page, you can read that in a very harsh light. Yeah, my jaw is literally. <laughs> yeah. But, that, but he's also he is in the film to some extent. So I, I don't know it, how well, he we're going to film it that. so you can see what a gay person looks like in the wild. What is that? You've not met a gay person in Hollywood? R- yes, you well, have. Yes. Of course, of course, of course. Oh, so I'm sorry. Yeah. That made me so mad. <laughs> but I don't know if that's his opinion that he was not actually considered or mm-hmm. he, whatever. I don't know. I True. do not know. True. I'm not going to presume. Uh, and you can extrapolate from that what you will. If they were not actually considering Ooh. him or Simon Doonan, I don't know. I don't know. But I do know is that Thomas Lennon turned it down due to scheduling conflicts with Reno 911. So Thomas Lennon said, quote, this one is probably one of the dumbest moves in my life. As I recall, I think I was just offered that role. I had some back and forths with the director and they were very serious. They either offered it to me or were about to offer it to me. I didn't want to change the schedule of Reno. It was also like the sort of classic sassy gay assistant. I was like, you know, I don't know in my life what it does for me to play sassy gay assistant. Probably an absolutely idiotic move on my part to pass on that. I just passed. I said, nah, not interested. Next thing I know, it was like the biggest movie. At least I got to go to a parking lot in Sun Valley and get kicked in the nuts by Nick Swarsden. That's what I was doing instead of getting nominated for awards with Meryl Streep. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Is is he a gay man? Uh, he is not. So I think that's also why yeah. it's like, I don't need to keep, it's like, you know, Roger, Roger Bart had the producers and then Nicole Kidman loved him in that. So got him a small role in the Stepford Wives as also a gay man. And it's just like at a certain point, it's like how many yep. gay roles yep. am I going to take away from gay actors? Am I, is this what I'm known for is just like, this is what I do despite the fact that this is not how I identify. And it's, you know, at a certain point you got to say it, no. And I think that makes sense, but it's also for this to be the one to say no to is also, yeah. as he said, a, not a great, not an idiotic move, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think it's good on you to not pick, but then of course, then it still went to <laughs> Stanley Tucci. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Uh, but we, that sound means it's time to play a quick round of Two Truths and Some Guy. The way it works, two of the following actors were up for the role of Nigel and one was not. Amy Jo is to guess which is which. Your options are Sean Hayes, Graham Norton, 
and Dennis Leary. Sean Hayes. That is correct. As far as I could tell, Sean Hayes was not considered for the role, but I could see that. I could I see, could see it so, but like, that's so funny. But I went with, I was like, okay, who is the most known for actually being and playing a gay man? <laughs> and we'll assume they did not offer it to that actor. Graham Norton is a great choice. I'd be very I interested love in that. that. Yeah. I mean, especially because his name is Nigel. It's like such an yeah, English name. I really only, well, is Graham Norton. English or Irish? He's Irish. Sorry. It's uh, it's an across the pond name. I gotcha, Apologies. I, gotcha, I know I gotcha. we have some listeners from over there. <laughs> I, I do apologize deeply. Uh, but I think Graham Norton would have been great. And I think Dennis Leary would have been terrible. Yes. Even worse than him as Christian Thompson. That's why I knew that he was definitely <laughs> up for it. <laughs> uh, but let's keep it going with Miranda Priestley. Amy Jo, what do you think of that Meryl Streep? Do you think she's got a career in Hollywood? Who? Uh, yeah, who? Um, Muriel Streep. <laughs> and who would you cast if you had to cast someone else? She's perfect. So good. She's perfect. It's it's a lot of um, the same kind of things that I, I, I mean, I haven't listened to this episode probably since we did it, but like the Louise Fletcher of it all, like mm. One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, like not going for the hard edge, big bombastic kind of choice, which would be very, very easy to do. Um, instead going undercutting everything, how terrifying she is because of that. Just like iconic every line. So good. That's all like, just, just, it's just like the gentlest, like a feather duster treatment on the lines, but this might be my favorite Meryl. Oh, yeah. It might be my favorite Marvel performance. I think so. I mean, she's so good in so many things, but she's also clearly having so much fun and such relish with this. Because it really is thinking of, like, the comedies. It's like this, Death Becomes Her, She-Devil, which she's so screamingly funny in all three of those. But I think this is the best made of those films. Mm. And I, I think she's just having, she seems to be having some of the most fun of her acting career. For sure. For uh, sure. At least how it comes across on film. It's just But it's a delight. Delightful. It's such a delight. Ugh. Yeah, uh, we were talking about this when we were watching it, being like, this is actually one of those roles that should be easy to cast. But after having just watched Meryl do it, it becomes very difficult to actually do so. I don't really have many options because also I got tired by the point that I got to this, <laughs> this character. Um, but I thought someone else who would give a very different performance, but it would be similar in its incredible nuance would be Tilda Swinton. Top of my list, well, Tilda Swinton. There you yeah. go. It's also her in Trainwreck. I, I think she does hit a very similar, where she's like Amy Schumer's boss, and she is made, done up. Right, I totally forgot about that. It's such that. a un-Tilda Swinton type way. Right. Uh, and she is screamingly funny in that as well. I mean, she's incredible. Love Tilda. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I could also see a Jessica Lange. I thought of I Jessica Lange, yes. Um, or Michelle Yeoh, I think would be oh, great. Yes. I want that. I mean, I could see, you know, I could see her as Miranda and Constance Wu as Andy, and we just recreate that dynamic of mm -hmm. crazy rich mm -hmm. Asians. It's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, Constance Wu does that, you know, I mean, having been on a sitcom for many years, too. It's right. like a lot of that energy works quite well for Andy, of course. And I forgot about this because I wrote her in the wrong page of my lists, but you know same age as meryl we we have a sigourney weaver situation thinking of her and working mm, girl mm -hmm. very different but yeah. same kind of like yeah. conniving boss yeah. you know that would be delightful i would love that i couldn't think of anyone for the 80s version of this of like who is at this stature at this age who's like in like the their 50s in the 1980s yeah because i was she's, like she's she, yeah she's not in her 50s in the 80s but 
or whatever. Thinking of like Eileen Brennan, mm. who yes, if you if you watch like Private Benjamin and you you watch. I'm thinking of in Clue when she's like, what do you propose to do about it? Just that kind of like soft <laughs> kind of treatment. Right. Just thinking of like, what are comedic geniuses we know? Right. Because that's like by the 80s, she was not given her best, but like a Liz Taylor mm-hmm. in this role. You know, if she was still given it as she did in like the 60s when she was like really but even in 50s. But like in the 60s, yeah. Liz Taylor was always like there's a largesse about her once she kind of like aged into adulthood not always not always but i'm thinking of like virginia wolf in particular which granted martha is like a huge larger than life character so maybe that's not um not a fair comparison but you know wonderful actress and also there are other ways to play this role i mean this was merrill's and i think it ultimately is the most successful interpretation of this like quite like never raises the voice above a certain level because it doesn't have to i love how they it's also how they shoot that that introduction of her where as she just sh- appears like as if she's mid-sentence to emily blunt and the way they stage all the a- extras so as soon as they'll t- round a corner see her and run back the other way mm-hmm. it's not even just like people will like continue to walk by and just refuse to make eye contact they will run back the other yes. way yes. and that helps give her so much power uh and and it's just so so smart the way they stage all that so director david frankel said my first choice was meryl we had a couple of big movie stars we talked about but only one we approached so as far as i know meryl is the only one they approached they did have some contract negotiations because they had offered meryl two million which she felt was quote slightly if not insulting not perhaps reflective of my actual value to the project mm-hmm. so they doubled it to four million and then she signed on allowing fox to greenlight the film wow that does feel low yeah and i mean it is like of how much like how many days does she actually have to film of like how much that she's not actually in in the film but mm-hmm. it still feels so low it does feel so low when you for, think of like how much julia roberts is making for a movie and it's like yeah. meryl streep is widely considered one yeah. of our top three if not top like actresses working yeah and it's like you gotta pay for quality if you want it you gotta pay for the quality so meryl said the voice i got from clint eastwood he never ever ever raises his voice and everyone has to lean in to listen and he's automatically the most powerful person in the room but he's not funny that i stole from mike nichols who had directed her in silkwood postcards from the edge and heartburn uh in the 80s and 90s She said, the way the cruelest cutting remark, if it is delivered with a tiny self-amused curlicue of irony, is the most effective instruction, the most memorable correction, because everyone laughs, even the target. Wow. Yeah. Which I love the idea of Mike Nichols being on set, you know, for the graduate asking Dustin Hoffman if he, you know, oh, did you fall and smack your little head on the pavement? (laughs) (laughs) So on the first day of filming, Meryl Streep told Anne Hathaway, I think you're perfect for the role. I'm so happy we're going to be working together. Then she paused and followed it up with, that's the last nice thing I'll say to you. Mm-hmm. And it was. Um, but I'd love it if that was not just for the shoot, but like just for all time. It was like, I'm never going to say another nice thing to you. I remain in character <laughs> forever. Oh, you won the Oscar for Les Mis. Oh, little flat. <laughs> oh, Bride Wars. That's an interesting choice <laughs> to make. <laughs> Uh, so 
supposedly, of the people that I could find that seemed the most realistic, because I was seeing some people saying online that, like, Cameron Diaz was considered. And you know what? I honestly have trouble believing that Cameron Diaz was considered for Miranda Priestly in 2006. I just don't think that's yeah, believable. No, she's... But she's on her third divorce and, like, with her twin girls. Like, I don't no. see it. No, 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 no. But these three I've seen from multiple places online. So I'm going to believe these three. Supposedly, Kim Basinger. Oh, huh. Sure. Yeah, I could see it. It's not my favorite, but I could see it. Glenn Close. That which makes sense. would be Why rad. didn't I put Glenn Close on my list? I just mentioned her and I didn't <laughs> even put her on my list. It's hard when someone is so perfect. I mean, so Meryl won the Golden Globe for the role uh, and then was nominated for the Oscar. Mm-hmm. And Emily Blunt was nominated for the Golden Globe, but did not get an Oscar nomination. But it was kind of amazing that she got a. Yes. We'll talk about her in a second, but it's that's. I remember, you really I remember have to make being, your mark for a role like that to get a nomination yeah. of that of that of like a Golden Globe or a SAG well, or she's an Oscar. Incredible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Glenn Close and Helen Mirren. Oh, and I'm that's like, if you couldn't perfect. get Meryl, I think Glenn Close or Helen Mirren would be so good. Or and I forgot about this. Like I could see an Emma Thompson. I would be down for an yes. Emma Thompson in this role. I mean, she kind of does it. I mean, it's a late night. Yes, yeah. the the film is not great but she is wonderful mm. in it and it's uh adjacent to this as yeah. far as like the kind of uh persona that the the boss is i hear that so instead it was 2006 so helen mirren was doing the queen and beaten meryl streep for that oscar win mm. so i think that worked out better the way that it turned out with helen mirren as the queen and meryl as the devil yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh so those are all the characters that I found other casting options for, but there are a few characters we didn't mention, so I want to briefly touch on them. We have Nate, a human doorstop. I say no, uh, thank you. Adrian Grenier, Entourage's Adrian Grenier. It just Grenier. feels like such a relationship you had in college that you have a strong attachment to and don't realize trim it up you're both you're both yeah. going to be so much better with other people. Yeah, and I don't think the writing helps no, those scenes with the friends are dreadful They're, it really feels like a completely different film it feels like a really hacky sitcom yes. some of these scenes with the friends where they're playing keep away with her phone when I can't, no, Miranda's i'm calling. sorry you have friends that care about you and that you care about and you know that the boss makes her life hell and you're gonna answer her phone when i'm thinking about like if this is supposed to be anna wintour you're telling me that your dearest friends who do care about like you being able to pay rent be like, let me talk to Anna Wintour. <laughs> no. And that to me, that's what feels the broadest. That's what feels like of the broad version of the film. Yeah. Cause in this film, I'm like, no, it's really what you need is just like the subtle of them looking to each other. Like, Oh wow. She doesn't see what she's doing right now. And they're kind of yeah. getting a little judgy, but maybe they're also a bit in the right where it's like, Oh really? You're going to, but you have to leave now when we're them, about to be here for his birthday. Like, totally. Oh, okay. But because they've choice. given them so much language, like chastising her, which they did not need to do. It yeah. makes it honestly makes me side more with Anne Hathaway, which I don't know. That is the intention. Like I'm oh, when, <laughs> when they're having their like makeup meeting at the, at, like her and, and the boyfriend at yeah. the end. And she's like, what did, I sacrificed this and this. And what was it for? He was like, for sure. Shoes and belts. And belts. And pants. I was like, no. <laughs> this is also like, but the film doesn't seem to realize. Where it's I'm about- going, I don't need belts. <laughs> I'm going sure to don't. Boston. I don't need pants in Boston. I'm going to wear elastic waist. Um, 
But it's like, no, no, no. She did it for career advancement. She did it because if she stuck it out for a year, she could get hired anywhere else. And then when she goes yeah. into this other office, he's like, you were there for less than a year. What, how do you explain that kind of blip? It's like, so she was right to yeah. want to try and keep this job. I know. It's infuriating. Yeah. Yeah, her friends are dragging her down. I mean, that first line, like, after she gets a job, and it's like, you got a job at a fashion magazine? What was it, a phone interview? I'm like, you got to dump this Cut guy immediately. Uh, so the less said about him, the better. Unless you had someone else you'd rather see in that role. No, just cut Great. the whole character. Cut the, cut the character. Just have it be, strengthen the relationship with the dad. Because they have, the one yeah. time the dad comes into the city and she has to leave. Just have it be, you know, get, and that, and that guy was fine, but like beef that get role a better, up. Get a better get, actor. Yeah, get a, get a, some, someone else. I mean, get like John Carroll Lynch. Like someone who's like, yeah. oh, wow, honey, it just doesn't really, is this really what you want? And you're like, oh, but it's John Carroll Lynch. So he knows what's best. Also. So is Tracy Toms, that's her show that her, like her art gallery. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's well, I mean, like oh. she works at some gallery, yes. right? But that's like her exhibition of her work. I believe so. That seems major. It's huge, huge prints, huge maybe, space. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's Christian just Thompson she helps is, work She says the... she designed it. Oh, I designed, designed it that way. Oh, okay. It is brilliant. Oh, you're right, you you're will right. love it. What? And Christian okay. Thompson is there, which makes it seem like if he's like working at a major place, how is that? It just didn't make well, sense. It's like we're or, all starting out. Or is he just scoping out for the next victim of the blonde bludgeoner? That may be so. But is he, he just stalking her? I think that he's just stalking Andy. He pops up in too many places where she's at that I'm like, you, this guy has stalked you to Paris. You're trying too hard to make this blonde bludgeoner work. And I, you are not trying, trying hard enough to wake yourself up to the murderer <laughs> that is at the door. And I'm just saying, I think the for someone who watches as much wonderful. true crime documentaries, you for the sole purpose of being prepared. Well, and it's engaging. You don't watch it for your health. You're watching it. So you know what not to I do. Can't stop. She is making too many wrong moves. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying the, the film target did not intend this. Of the Dapper Dan Strangler. This was not the intention. <laughs> This is a storyline that makes sense, but just because it makes sense doesn't mean it was the intention. I'm pointing a lot. Oh, you know what it is? It's that scarf, that that big fancy like paisley <laughs> scarf that he's got. That's what he's. That's what he uses to strangle women with. It's like it's like frenzy, but instead of neckties, it's scarves. It's just like cashmere. Mr. Thompson, you're not wearing your scarf. I see. Oh, uh, what? Uh, but let's finish it up with Emily. Emily Blunt, so good. Film's director, David Frankel, had considered over 100 actors for the role, but none seemed to fit. Unfortunately, I couldn't find a single one of these 100 people. Wow, good, because we'd be here for a while. <laughs> Just reading through this list of 100 people. Um, so she was discovered in a parking lot. She had been auditioning for this film, Aragon. We all know 2006's Aragon. Well, it's based on a book about a dragon. I it think. sure is. There's a dragon possibly voiced by Rachel Weiss, if memory well, serves. Oh, Rachel Weiss. A young Rachel Weiss as Andy? Or as Emily. Well, yes, and, great. Or I Rachel mean, Weiss her, now as Miranda. Cast her in any and every role always. Any and every role. Oh, like I just think now of her favorite co-star. Imagine mm -hmm. like a young Olivia Coleman as Andy. Oh, be thinking of her in um, Green Wing. Like yeah. she's very bumbling office worker. Ugh. I would love. But no, Emily Blunt was auditioning for Aragon, which was a want-to-be like franchise starter fantasy epic that crashed and burned. Uh, so she, which is also 20th Century Fox, so she was in their parking lot, and she was turned down for Aragon after multiple callbacks when a producer from Devil decided to put her on an audition tape. So she was kind of discovered. It was like, oh, how about you? you you're hot. And then get over here, you. Uh, so Blunt had already returned to England and then found out that she 
lost the job on Aragon. So she was like drinking with her sister. They were like commiserating. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming this is the same sister that would go on to Soon marry to the Tucci. Uh, so, and then she found out that she got, or she found out that they they needed her to do another audition because she was like dressed completely wrong for the for the part. Uh, but she also decided the character was written to be American, and she was just like, "I'm just going to do it British. I'm just mm-hmm. going to keep my accent." I think that works far it's better. Perp- I wish they had more people using, like I've said about Simon uh, Baker. Baker. I was like, like Simon, Simon Cowell, Cowell is not correct. That's a no. Um, that's a no for me, dog. But get it's like Simon Cowell. If you think exactly, okay. if you think about it being uh, so many people come to New York to work in these major like publications Anna Wintour is English you know like it would make sense to have like a Brit who you know came here because this is like where right. she wants to work but they got Meryl and Meryl decided not to do British accent she also wanted it to not be so clearly totally. Anna Wintour but that also what I'm saying is Meryl is American right. and Emily Blunt is British like it just makes sense being like use let people like why couldn't Christian Thompson be Australian if that's what the actor is I think it makes sense and adds to the kind of like you're new to New York and everyone in New York has come to New York because they want to be the best at what they do. And so people come from all over the world to be here is what I'm saying. So I I think it's great. I hear you. Love it. Uh, Yeah. So Emily Blunt, all of this like background business where she's just running around constantly was, she was never written or directed to do that. She just thought her character would always be busy. So I love that. Like in every shot, she's always doing something. She's always fixing something, adjusting something. She's writing notes. She's like, Fixing schedules, uh, folding a jacket. Uh, she just wanted. It just keeps her so alive in the film, mm-hmm. and I think you you're always drawn to her. She's always never not fascinating to to watch because she's always desperately, overly caffeinated doing something. Emily Blunt revealed in 2016 that she's quoted by strangers with lines from this film every single week. I buy it. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, there are worse worse roles and worse films to have parroted back at you for the mm-hmm. end of time for decades decades uh she's just so good so final thoughts on the devil wears prada anything we have not touched on any other smaller characters that yes jumped out yeah we have not talked about the fact that i once sold sunglasses to valentino who <gasps> appears in this film whoa, 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 because whoa. he's actually valentino himself is actually yes. in this at that and i was like oh right I've met him. So I worked at Sea Eyewear oh, for a, f- a few years when it was um, new to New York. Like it's a it's a brand from Michigan that has a lot of locations in Florida and then like was expanding. And it had just had its first New York location open up in like 06, 07 on Bleecker Street. And Bleecker Street was still super hot then, you know, because it was very sex in the city, lots of high fashion. And uh, so we'd get a lot of foot traffic, uh, but not typically super famous people. Although I did once talk Tom Brady out of a pair of sunglasses that were just too small for him. Did I know it was Tom Brady? No. Did I find out later? Yes. Yes. Um, but they, they didn't look good on him. He's a large man. And they were small glasses. Anyway. Um, but yeah, Valentino came in and, and this impeccable, like, light tan suit and you know we're like sold in some glasses and i was like is that valentino <laughs> and it was but we were all just kind of like amazing what is i mean it was really crowded that day but i mean it made sense that he would be like on bleaker street like walking around. but we were just yeah. like what the heck is valentino coming into our store because it's like c is like affordable designer it's mm. like all their own brand um, so we were like, okay, wow, sure. Yes, here, we'll give you any glasses you want. I mean, you have to pay for them, but like take them all. <laughs> so yeah, 
So I briefly uh, had an encounter with a man of fashion. Valentina, wow, amazing. Uh, I'll end with this. So Anna Winter, the editor of Vogue and inspiration for Miranda Priestly, was not invited to the premiere. She did, however, attend an advanced screening for the press dressed head to toe in Prada. Oh, that's such a flex. <laughs> Amy Jo. Yes, Jeff. What are you recommending this week? Jeff, can you believe it? It's another podcast. <gasps> Gasp. Gasp. Shock. Um, I'm recommending I Said No Gifts. The host of the show is Bridger Weiniger. He is a hilarious comedian, lives in L.A., and uh, basically the whole conceit of the podcast is he has a guest on. They've been instructed not to bring a gift, and yet somehow they always show up with something for Bridger, <laughs> um, which really took a turn in the pandemic because now they have to like send it ahead. He had Emma Thompson on one time because her daughter had heard the podcast and liked it, and she emailed them asking to be on. So it's like her wow. on a Zoom call from Scotland. Amazing. And, and it's it's delightful. It's hilarious. Um, I wanted to get uh, an authentic homosexual man on here uh, to make up for Stanley Tucci. Uh, so he's a wonderful comedian, has a lot of uh, queer guests on as well. So that is, again, I said no gifts. Love it. Jeff. Amy Jo. What you recommending? Uh, I'm going to recommend the new 2020 film Nomadland. Uh, it's just dropped, or I, yes, still relatively just dropped. We are recording this ever so slightly in advance. Uh, it's dropped on Hulu, starring Francis McDormand, directed by Chloe Zhao, uh, about Francis McDormand, plays his character Fern, who, after losing everything in the Great Recession, embarks on a journey through the American West, living as a van-dwelling, modern-day nomad. It is a stunning film. It's It feels like a micro-epic mm. of it just being so such a small film about this solitary, unremarkable person, uh, just making their way through the country and living in this van, but it just captures such beauty in in the the mm. way of this life of this nomadic life. It's really beautiful, and it's really it's her and David Strathairn as someone she meets along the way, and everyone else is just real people that are these real life nomads that are playing that are just playing themselves. They're all oh, credited with their own first name. Uh, and they're just real people. And Frances McDormand like lived as a nomad for like four months. They would just drive. She would just work all these jobs. She's working at Amazon briefly. She's like working like uh, harvesting beets. Uh, and it's just a it's a really beautiful film. I I really can't recommend it enough. It just looks gorgeous. The cinematography is incredible. It's wonderfully directed. Um, it's nominated for I think four Golden Globes uh, and probably will get a lot of Oscar noms. So feel free to check it out on Hulu. Nomadland, and that's what we're recommending. This week. Da, da, da. So thank you again to Anya for requesting The Devil Wears Prada. We also had some other people make this request. This is true. Uh, but they came in after Anya. Anya. Now, if you have a movie that you'd love for us to break down the casting of, you can request it once again by emailing us at endalmoststarring at gmail.com. And you can find us on Instagram or Facebook at and almost starring. And if you put in those requests on those apps, I will do my best to send the info to Jeff. But uh, the more direct way is just to email the person who makes the decisions at and almost starring at gmail.com. Uh, yes. And if you want to know what we're doing next week, follow us on Instagram or Facebook where we will let you know Saturday. So until next time, I'm Jeff Ronan. I'm Amy Jo Jackson. And thanks for joining us to see who almost starred. Mm -hmm.